There are two questions that I get all the time from real estate investors. The first one is, how do I find deals or how do I find more deals? The second one is, how do I get funding for those deals? Well, I've got you covered. I've created a program that will help you find all the deals you could ever want and also how to fund all of those deals. It's called the Real Estate Find and Fund Blueprint. That's right, it's a blueprint that will teach you how to find those deals and how to get them all funded. If you go to findandfundblueprint.com, you can check out the details, you can get signed up. It's a four week program. I have designed it specifically to make sure that you leave that program with 100% confidence that you can find deals and get them all funded. It's by far the biggest problem that real estate investors have and they've always had this problem and I'm here to solve it for you. I wanna get right down into it. We're gonna get into the weeds and talk very, very specific about finding deals and getting them funded. Go check it out findandfundblueprint.com. I can't wait to see you. There is absolutely nothing wrong with having a single family portfolio that you grow and you leave it single family. There's advantages to single family and there's arguments to be made about the pros and the cons, right? I don't think you need to diversify necessarily unless there's something from single family rentals that you're not getting that you want to get. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. Hey, thank you for joining me on the show today. I appreciate it. I love having you here. I love that you're taking time out of your day and devoting it to this because I think this will help you in your real estate investing business. I really, really do. I would not waste your time. I promise you. Today, we've got another live Q&A that I'm replaying for you. Lots of great questions from the people on the live, people who send in questions just like you, uh, answering questions like how to diversify your investment strategy in real estate. Should you diversify and how do you do that? How do you maximize profits on every deal, right? It's one thing to get more and more deals. I need more and more deals. People say it all the time. And one thing I always want to like sometimes tell them to tap the brakes and see, are you actually maximizing your profits? So most people have a goal of getting to, you know, a certain revenue or a certain profit margin. And, and sometimes it's not a matter of doing, you know, way more deals. Sometimes it's a matter of doing some more deals, but just doing more profitable deals, like maximizing those profits. We also talked about developing that growth mindset. And that growth mindset is super important to success, I promise you. And then finally, we uh, talked about how to get funding for your deals, right? Something we struggle with as investors sometimes. Certainly in the beginning, we struggle. And it's always sort of like this this mind game that we play with ourselves, Like nobody, you know, there's no money, nobody will lend to me. You know, all these things that we tell ourselves that keep us back. So that growth mindset kind of dovetails nicely into getting funding for your deals because the money's out there, I promise you. All right, guys, I don't want to waste any more of your time with my explanations of what you're about to hear. Let's just dive into it. Okay, we are live. Welcome and thank you for coming back and joining me. I Appreciate it. I'm just going to get myself set up here as always so that I can see your comments. <clears throat> All right. 
Guys, thanks. Welcome back. I appreciate it. Uh, I do this every week. As you know by now, if you've been uh, logging on and participating this week after week, uh, you know we do this on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Pacific and 4 p.m. I'm sorry, Wednesdays, 7%. Let me try this again. My, my teeth aren't working. My lips here. Wednesdays, 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific. That was very hard to get out. It's not boding well for this uh, for this Q&A if I can't get it together a little more. So 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. We do this and answer your questions. Uh, we answer them live here on this uh, Q&A. And if you send them in to me during the week, uh, we, we record those. <clears throat> My team here, we record those. And then we answer them on this live as well. So uh, if you can't make it to these, <clears throat> but you want to ask a question, you can do that. Just email me at mike at juststartrealestate.com uh, or you can DM me on Instagram, uh, Mike S. Simmons. That's Mike S. Simmons. Um, you can ask me questions there. That's totally fine. We'll get them on here and I will get them answered. Uh, but I love answering these questions for you guys because I do get a lot of the same questions all the time uh, throughout my day and, and just from people who don't even log on to here, don't even know about this. Um, so giving you guys an opportunity to come on here and hear what other people are asking, because sometimes that's helpful, right? If you don't, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So sometimes other people's questions can be very, very helpful. So if you have your own, please, by all means, uh, let me know what they are. Otherwise, I will answer them the ones I get throughout the week. <clears throat> okay. Also, I wanted to let you know that the next round of my program is starting. Uh, we've kind of revamped it a little bit. We're making some tweaks. It's like anything in business, guys. I, I get this question all the time too. What do I do if I'm not able to find deals? What do I do if I'm not able to fund deals? What do I do if things aren't working the way that I'm the way that I'm trying to you know get my business off the ground or to scale it up? And I mean, we'd have to dig into specifics, but the bottom line is like change something or even if what you're doing is working and you see a better way, then tweak it. So that's exactly what we did. The first go around of the, um, of the, of the program was actually really successful. I've gotten a lot of feedback from the people who joined that round that they really loved it. They got a lot out of it. It was great. But as I'm going through it, as someone who's kind of presenting the information and, and taking on that role of, of teacher, um, I, I noticed some things that uh, I would have changed if I if I could do it over again, which I can. I'm going to do it over again. And so I'm going to change those things and, and try to make improvements where I think they're necessary and um, you know deliver a lot of the same stuff too that I know worked and landed and worked really well and, and resonated well for folks. Um, I know my team just put the, uh, the, the link up here and that will take you there, but we have revamped it. It's now called the Real Estate find and fund blueprint. We're going to really dial into those things. We're really going to talk about finding and funding. So if you go to findandfundblueprint.com, you can get there as well. So findandfundblueprint.com will get you to that site. The old link of Business Fast Track Blueprint will also get you there. Uh, but eventually the business fast track blueprint will be kind of washed away and we'll we'll kind of focus on the real estate find and fund because ultimately uh, we're still going to talk about what it takes to build a business. We're going to talk a little bit of hiring. We're going to talk a little bit of some of the other foundational things that we did in the first uh, go around. Uh, but one of the things that I identified going through this is the people who were in that program, I think, wanted more uh, in the weeds, really down in the dirt, like, like more depth of detail about 
marketing to find leads and how do you get more leads? How do you get leads in a competitive market? Um, when, when the market changes, either, you know, buyer, seller, whatever, whatever we're happen to be in that at that moment, like how do you find leads consistently? And then if you can find leads or if you get to the point where, okay, leads are coming in and this is a real problem is sometimes funding it. They don't, people don't know where to get money. How do you fund your deals? Where do I go to fund my deals? I still have in, uh, experienced investors coming to me who do a lot of deals and they're still struggling to fund all of their deals. So finding deals and funding deals are probably, you know, over the last several years that I've been um, helping folks build and scale their business, finding and funding deals consistently uh, is an issue and something that they're working on trying to improve. So <clears throat> we're still going to talk all the other foundational stuff. We're still going to get into some of the things that it takes to really truly grow and build a successful business, but we're going to highlight finding and funding quite a bit in the program. So um, that's what's going to be covered. We're going to start on September 21st. So if you go there and sign up now, you can get into the program. I will not take unlimited people at some point it will be difficult to serve everyone at a high level. So if you're seriously interested about really like kicking it into the next gear, or if you haven't even launched, launching your business, uh, go and sign up now before we shut the doors. Because uh, like I said, I want to be able to service everyone at a very high level. And we can only do that with a limited amount of people. So go and sign up and check it out. I want to help you. It's not too late, by the way. We're in August right now as I'm recording this. There's plenty of time to crush it this year. I don't know what your goals were in January, and I don't know how far you are off of them. But regardless, I know we can either hit them or come real close. Certainly a lot closer than you'll come if you don't take some different action and, and take, uh, take advantage of the situation. So go check it out. Okay, <clears throat> let's get into uh, the uh, questions for today. Uh, let's see. Uh, first one I got here is real estate investing easier if I already own uh, property? Uh, it sounds like the way I read this the first time was if I already own my own property, but I don't think they're talking about their personal residence. It sounds like they're saying if I already own a little bit of property, is it easier to do real estate investing? No, not necessarily because you know you may have inherited a property or two. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be an easier road for you. Matter of fact, it could be a little tougher road because if that property is not performing and you're trying to get a loan through like a bank or some sort of a, uh, like a standard lending institution, uh, it, it might be a little tougher if they see losses happening on that property or it's not rented or you're behind in town. You know, if there's something like that going on, it's going to hurt you. But even if you are, you know, your, your rent is, you know, the rent is all current with your tenants, or maybe you don't have tenants and, and all the property taxes are paid, everything, even if everything is good with those, the properties that you own, it's not necessarily going to help you. If you have a W-2, um, Fannie Mae will only allow you so many investment properties uh, that you can get a loan for. I think it's like nine or 10. And once you get those, they won't, they won't give you a loan anymore for an investment property. So in that sense, having a property can hurt you, especially if that property that you have is not the best investment property. You may have inherited it and maybe you're paying the taxes on it and you're keeping the grass cut, but you don't have anybody in there. It needs a lot of work. You can't really unload it for whatever. Like sometimes it can be a negative, right? But just no, no one's going to look necessarily at you and say, hey, oh, you already own a couple of houses. Well, then let's come in and let's give you a loan. It's not really the way it works. It doesn't necessarily help you. It doesn't necessarily hurt you either. But <clears throat> now if you found those two properties because you're just a really, really great at finding deals, 
Um, yeah, certainly to help you, but just having real estate doesn't necessarily help you. Um, you know, unless you had to find them and get them fixed up on your own and you got a little experience out of that. But it sounds to me like somebody is just asking here, if I own some property, um, does that make real estate investing easy? You still have to learn, you know what I mean? You still have to learn. It's just, it's like saying, if I have a couple of cars, um, would I be a good race car driver? No, just having the cars doesn't necessarily make you good at race car driving. You have to learn. There's a process, there's a skill that you have to get better at. Real estate investing is the same way. Just having a few houses is like having a few cars. It doesn't necessarily make you a great driver. It doesn't necessarily make you a great real estate investor. Um, you still have to figure out how to build the business, how to actually build a real estate investing business that's profitable. Some people do real estate like a hobby. They, they get a house once every couple of years. They take six, eight, 10, 12 months to renovate it. And then they either rent it out and sell it and it's real slow and it, 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 there's no purpose or there's no system or process behind it. It's kind of random when they find houses, maybe they find two houses one year and then they don't find another house for two years. You know, that's not really what I'm talking about. Anybody can do that. It's very, it's risky though, to do that because you're, you're probably not dialed in really to your numbers like you should be. Um, but I, it's like anything you have to learn the skill, you have to learn it. And then repetition, like the first couple of deals may not be your best deals ever. Uh, but you'll get better every time you do it. So yeah, owning the properties doesn't necessarily help you buy them just by owning them. <clears throat> okay. How will I determine the rent to charge for my property? Um, it's pretty easy. I mean, you can ask a realtor. Sometimes they can let you know what, what rents are in that area. It's not the way I do it, but it's a way to do it. Um, Zillow is a pretty good, it's pretty, in most areas, Zillow is fairly accurate with rents. And so you can use Zillow. Um, there's another service called Rentometer. It's, uh, R-E-N-T-O-M-E-T-E-R.com. That's really what I've relied on the most. Probably I'll do a quick check on Zillow just to get like in the ballpark. So I kind of have an idea and then I'll use Rentometer to take a look and get a, a second look at it. And, and if I have to choose between the two, I typically side with Rentometer. I, I just think it's more accurate, at least in my area, but I'll, I'll use the Zillow as sort of like, you know, maybe I'll take the average of the two. They're usually pretty close. So it's usually not that big of a deal, but if I only had one option, I would choose rentometer.com. I just like it. I've always used it for years and I think it's pretty, pretty good. I'm sure there's a million places you can look, frankly. I'm sure Redfin gives that truly. It probably has it. So you can go to any of those places. Bob Sleeves back on. <clears throat> there he is, man. He's coming back. He's back for round two. Okay. Uh, let me read this. I know somebody might feed it to me, but I'm going to, let's see. Mike, I just sent out a deal via MailChimp. If someone opens it multiple times, should I also give them a call? Um, I, yeah, it's a good question. If, if it's just like a red hot property and you're getting, you know, you're getting a dozen calls an hour, I don't know that I would really worry about it too much. Um, but if it's sort of slow going and you're not getting quite the interest that you would like to get, then yes, I would definitely do that because they've opened it multiple times. They're interested. Um, yeah. And maybe it's even good to say, Hey, give them a call and say, Hey, cause you don't really want to say, Hey, I saw you open it multiple times. That's a little bit creepy, a little big brotherish, but I would say, Hey, uh, just thinking about you. Um, if you know the person, if you don't know him, it's kind of weird, but just say, Hey, just thinking about you. I had this property. I'm not sure if you saw my email. I think you would like this one and tell them what the address is. And then they'll probably go, Oh my God. Yeah. I was just looking at that. 
Um, if you don't know the buyer, that's a little bit different story. Then, then it's kind of weird to call them in the first place. If you don't know them, calling them out of the blue. Uh, but if somebody opens up multiple times and I'm not getting tons and tons of interest, then yeah, we tell our dispo guy to give them a call, check it out and see, see what's happening because they're just probably just so close to pulling the trigger and giving you a call and making an offer. So, yep, I would definitely do that, but it's not worth your time at scale. It's not worth your time because there will be multiple people who open up your emails multiple times. And if you're getting tons of calls and you've got four five, 10, like you, you know, you got like nine, 10 deals going on at one time. I know. Cause I know you, um, you know, it's not always worth your time to necessarily call someone because they open it a few times. Just, but if you need to stimulate some, some, uh, a little, little bidding war, or you need to get some, some action going, definitely I would reach out and call them. I think it's a good idea, man. Okay. Uh, next question How can I maximize my investment property profits? Um, investment property, I'm going to, I'm going to assume here we're talking about rentals. But I suppose you could be talking about flips when you say investment properties. I'll say flips first of all. The best way to maximize your profits is is to buy right. That's one of the best ways. So it's probably it may sound like a cop out answer, but it's legit. Like it's real. Um, some people do do flips and they don't make as much as they want to make. And one of the problems is they're buying them too high. They're just they're spending too much on the deal. They're not working hard enough to find deals that they can get at a deep enough discount to make the money that they expect to make or want to make on their deal. So buying it better is one way. Do a good rehab, okay? Still talking about flipping here, but do a good rehab. Don't don't do a half-ass rehab. Sorry for my language, if there are any kids watching. Don't do a crappy rehab and then wonder why you're not making the money that you want to make. Do a good rehab. Like, like don't necessarily hire the cheapest contractor. I, I don't think you should hire the most expensive contractor, but don't necessarily hire the cheapest unless the cheapest is, you believe is also the most qualified or as qualified as the other ones, let's say. So buy it cheaper, do a really good rehab. And then when you put it on the market, give it a little bit of time. One of the mistakes that people make is they put a house on the market, they get an offer that is a solid offer and they just take it. Especially in this market that we're in, you almost always should do like, I don't care how, how many offers you get, you should do at least a week, if not two, but at least a week of showings without accepting any offers. You can, they can submit them, but you're not going to review any offers for a week. And then at the end of the week, you know, maybe even have an open house to sort of kind of drain that pool completely dry and then take a look at your offers. And even then, when I take a look at them, I still might call the top two or three and say, hey, I'm going to do final and best. You guys, you know, there's three of you that are sort of right there with each other. Um, you know, let me know what the best you can do. I mean, it, it, it may sound a little bit, um, it may sound kind of crappy to do, but it, it's business. Like you're not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but you have an, I, I believe you have an obligation to yourself if you have a team and other like employees, you have an obligation to them. You have an obligation to your family. If you have a family, like you, you deserve and you owe it to yourself and everybody involved to get the most for every property. And that's how you do it on a flip. <clears throat> if you're talking about a buy and hold, then it's a little bit different. Um, the question is, how do you maximize your profits? So on a buy and hold, first of all, set your rent right. 
like set it high enough. I hear a lot of people and I've been guilty of this. So I'm not just pointing fingers. I'm pointing fingers at myself too, who get a rental. They put a renter in it and they don't raise rent ever. And then when they go to sell it, they'll say, oh, you know, I'm only char- I'm charging $800, but it's probably worth 1100 rent. I just have never bothered to raise it. Right. Especially if you have a portfolio of rentals and you don't raise the rent, like even if you raise 10 rentals by $100 each every two two years or whatever, ever whatever the market is, is calling for, I mean, that's $1,000 a month that you're just sort of not realizing as a business owner because you're not raising rent. So make sure you're setting your rent appropriately and you're raising it appropriately, not abusively or you know just being greedy, but like raise it when the market says it's higher, it should be higher. I would say also screen your tenants. One of the biggest things that takes away from profitability of a landlord is turnover and vacancies. You you have a a turnover that's really expensive because you put renters in there that abused your property. And because you put bad renters in, chances are they're going to move out at some point and not only damage your property, but it's going to cost a lot to fix it. And the time that it takes to fix it is time that you can't rent it. And so Turnover is the biggest cost by far of of landlords that they don't anticipate or they underestimate. And so screening your tenants really, really well or hiring a company, maybe even better to screen your tenants really, really well so that you put the best quality tenants in there that are paying market value and they stay because you treat them well. That's the other thing, right? It's another way to, to maximize your profits. Treat your tenants well be a good landlord. If they call you with a legitimate repair, get out there, get someone out there and get it done really, really fast. Another way to maximize profits on a rental is to really renovate it when you buy it or when you take it over, really, really renovate it well. And that kind of goes back to like getting top rent. You can only get top of the, top of the market rent if you have a top of the market product. And so you have to do a really good job on the front end when you renovate it. When you do those repairs, like don't don't be a slumlord. Don't just do the minimal, like whatever it takes or or worse, a slumlord would don't even do the repairs. Just leave it alone. Let it be in disrepair. Let things not work. Let it be unsafe and move people in because you're saving money. At the end of the day, it's going to cost you. Eventually, you're going to have to do repairs. So I say do them up front and, and really... Uh, um, and really just be a good landlord. Just stay on top of things. Be a good landlord, rent, you know, screen well, do good upfront, get top rents, make sure you increase your rent as the market bears. And, and that's how you maximize your profits on a rental. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> Sorry, guys. Got a little uh, cough. Okay. Next question. My portfolio is made up of single family rentals. Do you think it's a good idea to diversify and have any recommendations on how to get started? Um. First of all, I'm going to say it seems like, and I sometimes I don't know if this is like industry wide or if it's just the circles that I'm that I'm associated with, but it seems like there's this trend toward multifamily, and that multifamily is really a hot topic right now. Um, the mastermind that I'm associated with that I'm part of called the Seven Figure Flipping Mastermind. Uh, has always been single family um, focused, uh, but this this year, two thousand and, and uh, twenty one, we launched a multifamily arm or a multifamily uh, version of of the seven figure flipping group, um, and so 
that's the group I run in, right? I just recently interviewed Brandon Turner from Bigger Pockets, and he just wrote a couple of books that are down here uh, called The Multifamily Millionaire, and he wrote two books actually, two volumes. And obviously, Bigger Pockets is a huge is a huge entity in our industry, and Brandon is kind of he's he's got his hands on the pulse of what people are talking about. And that's what he's into right now. So I think multifamily is a buzzword that people are getting excited about. And with good reason, it's a great way to build wealth. It's awesome. But let me just say this before I answer the question about should you diversify? There is absolutely nothing wrong with having a single family portfolio that you grow and you leave it single family. There's advantages to single family and there's arguments to be made about the pros and the cons, right? And I'm not going to do that because I've done that on this on this Q and A before. I mean, if you really want me to, put it in the in the comments, and I'll I'll do it. But I don't think you need to diversify necessarily unless there's something from single family rentals that you're not getting that you want to get. Um, it's a different world, single family versus like multifamily. Um, or you know, you're talking about diversifying uh, potentially you might be talking about storage, right? And that's a totally different game as well. Or maybe you're talking about trailer parks, you know, buying trailer parks. The The short answer to your question is no, you don't. It's not necessarily a good idea to diversify unless you have needs or you have goals that diversifying would get you there faster. But I know tons of people who have huge single family portfolios and they're making a ton of money and they're happy. They're just, they're, they're just raking it in and they're happy and it's great. And they have no, no desire to go into storage or multifamily or trailer parks or anything like that. They're fine. And if you're fine, then you're fine. Just be fine. But if you want something else that diversifying would help you, then, then go ahead and diversify. I, I personally don't think you need to diversify a strong performing single family portfolio. There's no reason to diversify that in my opinion. Okay. <clears throat> Will you explain a 1031 exchange? So I'm not like a 1031 expert, but the the basics of a 1031 exchange, and, and I did, because uh, I saw this question beforehand, I'm going to paste into the chat here. I'm going to paste... A website that will give you, it'll break it down. It breaks it down actually rather nicely. Um, but the basics of it is a 1031 exchange can be utilized when you're selling a property and you're buying one of equal or greater value. When you do that using a 1031 exchange, you can avoid the, the capital gains that you're going to have to pay by selling a property, right? So we sell a property, we pay capital gains. If you 1031, you don't have to pay that capital um, gains uh, expense if you buy a property of equal or greater value with that, with that profit or with that money. Um, you have to identify the new property within 45 days of selling the first one. So you only, it's, a, it's quick, it has to happen fast. Within a month and a half, you have to identify the new property and you have to complete the closing of the new property within 180 days. So it has to happen fairly quickly. You really kind of need to have your ducks in a row before you sell the first one if possible. So in other words, if you have a property and you just sell it and then the day you sell it and get the money in your account, 
you start thinking about, do I want to do a 1031? Like the clock is ticking. You've got 45 days to identify the new one. So I would say if you're going to do that before you sell the first one, kind of know what you're going to move that money into, get as much of the ball rolling as you possibly can before you do that. And I would consult somebody too. I would consult someone who's like, that's their thing. They do 1031 exchanges and make sure you talk about it before you sell that first property. But that's basically it. Take the, take the money from the first property, put it into one of greater equal value, you avoid capital gains. So that's in a nutshell, that's 1031 exchange. But use that website that I, that I just pasted in there and that it'll break it down really, really well for you. Okay, what should I look for during a property tour when considering buying an investment property? Um, Again, I don't know if this is for flipping or for uh, like being a, a rental, but the things that are no-goes for me, well, one thing is just kind of, I'll take a step back here. You want to make sure that you can add value to it. Okay. So even if, even if it's multifamily, this, this kind of goes across multi and single family is you have to make sure that you can add value or that you're getting it cheap enough that you don't even have to add value, right? Because they're just, for whatever reason, they're just dumping it on you and just giving you some crazy low price, which by the way, rarely happens. It happens. I know it happens. So don't, don't email me and say it happened and explain your deal. I know it can happen, but it's rare. Um, usually when you're going and looking at a property to decide whether or not you want to buy it, you need to make sure that you can add value, right? There's something there that you can do. Um, it's different for multifamily and single family, but the other things you want to think about is not only can you add value, but when it comes to single family specifically, you want to make sure that you don't have a lot of negative things uh, in all in one deal. And negative things could be on a main road. If you're in an area that it's where a basement is customary, you want to make sure that it is has a basement and has a garage is great. And that it's at least three bedrooms because in most markets, three bedrooms are just going to sell a lot faster and that it doesn't have a, a funky layout. You know, like when you get on the inside of it, make sure that you don't have to go through the bedroom to get to the only bathroom or something crazy like that. Um, foundation issues, sometimes I'll shy away from. Again, there's definitely profit there if you can get it cheap enough to deal with the foundational issues. Um, but foundational issues, so uh, none of, not, not one of those things is going to ruin a deal by itself. But when you start stacking up all these things on a main road, funky layout, maybe it's the... Um, you know, the best house in a bad neighborhood that, that doesn't help you either because it, it, it tends to um, help everyone else, but it doesn't help you as much. If there's a funky layout, if the foundation is crappy, um, you know, if it's sinking, like just, there's all these things where if it's just one of those things, you can kind of overcome it, but you don't want everything to be wrong with it. It can't just be a total dog from start to finish unless you're getting it cheap enough. So I tell people all the time, it doesn't really matter if you buy a house for a hundred thousand put 10,000 into it and sell it for 200. That's a good deal. Or if you buy it for 10, put a hundred into it and sell it for 200. That's the same exact deal with the same exact profit. So you don't have to shy away from there being multiple issues necessarily, but you have to make sure you get it really, really cheap for every one of those issues. And sometimes some of those issues are going to keep even a great house with a great renovation from being sold. Like Maybe it's on a main road and it doesn't have a basement and it has a funky layout. Like, it, and I don't care really what you do. It's at that point, you can't change the fact that it's on a main road. And, and, you know, practically speaking, you can't change the fact that it doesn't have foundation. 
yes, I know you can jack up a house and do all these crazy things, but within the realm of reason, you can't do much about it. Um, so you just want to look out for having all of those factors stacking up and making it just a bad deal. That's tough to get around all the issues. Um, but if you have a lot of issues, you just, the price has to keep going down lower and lower. So that's what I look for. Okay. I'm trying, okay. Next question. I'm trying to grow my real estate investing business and struggling with being very hard on myself. <laughs> Can you suggest some ways to develop a growth mindset and break out of beating myself up? My guess is that you're beating yourself up because you're comparing yourself to somebody or some other people that are just doing more than you, or they have more than you, or their business is more successful than you. So I will say this though, guys, maybe this isn't the answer this person was looking for. I think a lot of times the people that I know in business and not just real estate, the people I know in business who are successful are hard on themselves. Athletes who are successful are hard on themselves. And so I think there's an aspect of being hard on yourself where don't, don't be hard on yourself for being hard on yourself. Some, you know, I think people who are a little too light on themselves sometimes um, can be, can be passive about the growth. And, you know, you're talking about growth mindset, like it's, maybe it's not a matter of you're being too hard on yourself. It might just be that you're focusing on the wrong things. So, you know, I, I, when you do, when you fail, that's, you have to reframe some of your thoughts. When you fail, you have to realize that can be a good thing because you can learn a lot from failure. I've had more than my share of failures in real estate and it's caused me to be a smarter, better real estate investor, a smarter businessman. And so I've made tons of mistakes. So making mistakes is part of the process. That's not a big deal. Like, like failing is learning and learning is is allowing you to be better and smarter and grow going forward. Um, I think, you know, growth mindset sometimes is held back by having like a limiting belief mindset, meaning you don't ever want to collaborate. You don't ever want to share. You don't ever want to um, be in a group setting where you're vulnerable because you have this, this limiting mindset that you can't show that you don't know things or you can't ask for help or you can't share with somebody what you're doing because you're afraid they're going to take it and do it better. I think when you have an abundance mindset, it lends itself very, very well to a growth mindset. The more you give and teach and try to help and give out, a lot of times, most times, the more you get back. And so growth is a lot about abundance. So I think um, having that abundance mindset is huge. I think allowing yourself to be hard on yourself, focus on the things that will actually make you better. Don't, don't be hard on yourself in the way that you would dwell on it because dwelling on failure and being hard on yourself three months after the thing took place, that is a waste of time. That's, that's hurting you. That's keeping you from growing, no doubt about it. But getting up and saying, I'm going to accomplish these five things. And when you don't accomplish them, being a little hard on yourself, I don't know. I, maybe I'm old fashioned, old school, but I don't think that's a horrible mindset. Now, beating up on yourself two weeks later about that day, two weeks earlier where you didn't get five things done, that's a waste of time. You're absolutely wasting your time and you're being ridiculous. But during the day, you're off pace. You're not getting things done. You better buckle down, be hard on yourself. 
put, put down the TV remote, whatever it is you're doing, put down the Cheetos, like go back to work and get it done. Like be hard on yourself in the moment and maybe be hard on yourself when you're grading yourself, but don't beat yourself up for past mistakes. That's just, just stupid, right? Stay tough on yourself. And by the way, I, when I say be tough on yourself, the way I'm looking at it and the way I'm thinking about it is have high expectations for yourself. Expect more from yourself than maybe you did the day before or more from yourself than other people expect of you. Like have high standards for yourself and hold yourself to them and be very diligent and hard on yourself about maintaining those standards. But realize failures, growth, failures, learning, and being hard on yourself for past mistakes far into the future is a waste of time. And it will keep you from growing and having an abundance mindset. Give back, give. When people ask you advice, give it to them. If you feel like you have good, good advice or you know what you're talking about, don't don't hold on to everything you know and think that you're keeping your secrets to yourself. There's no secrets out there, guys. I'm, I do this every Wednesday. I, I'm involved in the Seven Figure Flipping Mastermind. I give away to them. I have my program. I give away to them. I wrote a book called Level Jumping where I gave away literally exactly how I grew my business and what it took to be successful. Like Just give and give and give and, and don't expect it to come back. But I'm telling you, if you give and give and give, it does come back. So that's my long-winded, but I think valuable lesson on how to, how to be growth-minded and about being hard on yourself. <clears throat> okay. I've only got one more question here. So if you guys don't have any in the comments, then uh, we will call this the last one. But here we go. Last question. Uh, I keep getting turned down by banks for funding my deals. What am I doing wrong? And what other options are there? I think what you're doing wrong, maybe, is going to banks to fund your deals. Banks are sometimes going to be a little bit more tricky, a little harder. They're going to have more rules and regulations and hurdles and things you have to go through. Now, like I said at the, at the top of this, of this uh, Q&A, if you have a W-2 job and you make pretty good money and you have good credit, banks can be some of the best ways to fund your deals. And, and banks aren't necessarily psyched about funding flip deals, but like rentals, they'll do that. But you have to have you know, pretty good debt to income. You have to have a good credit score. Um, but banks can be a great way to do it because banks, the interest that they're going to charge you on that loan is so much lower than anybody else is going to charge you. So if you have a W-2, good debt to, to income and a good credit score, I would go down the bank route. But if you're struggling with banks, um, then it could be that the, the house that you're proposing to buy is just not a good investment. And they're maybe, maybe they're keeping you from making a, a mistake. I would ask them why you're not having luck. If you're going to banks and they're denying you, ask them why, and they'll just tell you. They're not going to keep it a secret. But the other options that I think are usually much, much better, and they're certainly more scalable, and they're a lot easier, are really two options, hard money lenders and private lenders. Hard money lenders have rules and they have some structure, but the way they look at deals and the way they look at you and the way they make their decision about whether or not they will give you the loan is different than what a bank will do. Banks look at you by and large, whereas hard money lenders tend to look at the deal or the house more than they care about you. They don't necessarily, they care, but they care way more about, way more about the house. So if you bring them a great, great deal, they will more than likely fund it if it's a great, great deal, right? Unless you just have just 
just the worst finance records and background of anybody ever. But if you bring them a great deal, they'll fund it. Uh, I have a hard money lending company that, that I own that I started last year. I, I don't look at credit scores. I don't even necessarily look at your track record. I look at the deal because as a hard money lender, if I have to take that house back via foreclosure because you default for some reason and you just won't or can't pay, I want to make sure that what I'm taking back is worth having and that there's money to be made there. So most hard money lenders care about the deal. Now, that's the other option. The third option that I mentioned was private lenders. Private lenders are kind of the holy grail. And I, and I say that as a hard money lender. I think the more private money you can accumulate, the better. Private lenders are just people. They're individuals, high net worth individuals or individuals who just have enough money to lend on a deal. You know, Maybe they only have a couple hundred thousand dollars and that's what they could lend you for a deal. Maybe they have a couple million dollars and they can fund a bunch of your deals, but they're individuals. They're not institutions. They're not companies, right? They're people. And so with a private money lender, the, the huge advantage is the terms are not necessarily predetermined because they're just an individual with money. It's all negotiable. Whatever you two can agree on are the terms. And so that means like the interest rate is negotiable. How much money they give you up front when you buy the house is negotiable. What paperwork do you need with them? It's negotiable, right? It's all a negotiation. It's all whatever you two decide you're happy with. And so a lot of times you can get much better interest rates. You can get much better terms. Um, you can just do a lot of things that you can't do with a bank or a hard money lender. So private money is really where that private money is the long-term play for most people, especially if you don't have any available to you right now, private money is what you want to be working on for your long-term sustainability and growth. Hard money is what you go for right now. If you need money, like in a week, go to hard money lenders and, and you'll be in business. If you need money in a week and you start developing relationships. And by the way, with private money lenders, it's a relationship. It's a relationship kind of a game. You have to get to know people. They have to get to know you. They have to feel good about you as a person. Um, and so that takes time. You know, it's like saying, I want to get married. Well, you can't just go, I want to get married and snap your fingers. It's a relationship. You have to build a relationship and get to the point where you're both interested in that commitment. And so private money is a longer term thing. Uh, hard money, you can get it in a week in most cases. A lot of companies will fund within a week or maybe two at the most. So it can happen very, very fast. They don't have to know a lot about you. They just have to see the deal and know that the deal makes sense and then they'll fund it. So that is where uh, I would go. Okay, got another question here from Bob, my buddy. Uh, is your wholesale biz taxed as an S corp? Uh, I'm willing to bet it is at this point. If we have done 400K gross, what is a reasonable salary to pay myself? Two separate questions. We are not taxed as, um, as NS Corp, but I have an LLC that pays me as an owner, like my, my dividend as an owner, that's an S Corp. And so the income that I make from my real estate company goes into an S Corp and that's how, it's, that's how I'm taxed. Um, the second question is, what, if we've done 400K in gross, what is a reasonable salary? I am always, I don't know if, if this is the answer you want to hear, Bob, but I, so my company has averaged over a million dollars in gross in the last six years. And I still pay myself a very modest salary. I am way, way more on board with pay yourself what you need 
maybe a little extra, obviously. I don't want to, I'm not going to struggle, right? But I pay myself a reasonable salary. It's under $100,000, well under $100,000. And I, I leave the rest in the company and or invested in marketing. So the reason I grew, the re, one of the reasons why I was able to grow my business from doing a couple hundred gross to over a million in gross profits is because I reinvested my profits into marketing. And so instead of having slow, steady growth, I, I learned how to build a business. And then I pumped a lot of money into marketing, like most of my profits into marketing and my business skyrocketed because I just took the aggressive approach that I'm going to reinvest the profits into my company and grow it fast. That was my choice. Um, if you're at a point, and I don't think you are, Bob, because I know you, but if, if a person's at a point where they're like, hey, I'm doing 400 gross and I kind of just want to maintain, then, then pay yourself the profits, like, like distribute all the profits if you wanted, if you want to do that. Um, I think it's risky. I'm never a big fan of that. I would rather have it in my company and use it on marketing. And if I decide not to, I can distribute at the end of the quarter, at the end of the year, you know, I can make that strategic decision. But I think when you, I think the mistake that people can make is they overcompensate themselves. They overpay themselves as an owner because they're seeing these profits come in. It's like, hey, I own this company. I should be living a little higher. And they distribute a lot to themselves. And then they hit a rough patch where maybe the marketing isn't working as well, or they hit a few months where they're just not getting deals. And now you're kind of screwed because you, you took all that money in and maybe used it for something else or whatever, or it's in the family budget and your husband or wife sees it and they're like, hey, uh, what are we doing? Why are we taking so much money out to go back into the business? So I like leaving it in the business until I know that it's an, an actual excess and then maybe distribute that at the end of the year, maybe end of the quarter. So um, I, I don't pay myself much, but it's in the company and I can, I can deploy that into marketing or growth, whether maybe it's hiring, maybe it's something else, right? We do a little bit of, um, you know, we do a little bit of trial and error with marketing stuff. So we kind of have that playground money where if we want to try a new marketing channel, we have funds set aside to play with, to, to, to experiment, right? It's like R&D. We, we have an R&D department in our business where we can, we can experiment and do things that we haven't done before. And we're, we're okay with maybe risking some extra money because we have it there. And you can't do that if you over overpay yourself. So just be careful. I don't, I don't want to give you a number. It's all, I don't know what your obligations are. I don't know how much your house payment is. I don't know what you, you know, what understanding you and your wife have to this point. So um, it's sort of a personal thing, but um, I, I would do as little as you can do and not feel bad or, or struggle at all. And then sort of ramp it up from there as you, but I know you're trying to grow. So I suggest you re, reinvest a lot of that into growth personally. That's what I would do. All right. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. All right, guys, that's all the questions we have for this week. This has been fun. Uh, thanks for logging on. I'm going to try to do this without twisting my tongue like I did at the beginning. We are here every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern time, 4 p.m. Pacific. If you want to check out my new program, it's starting next month. It's called the Real Estate Find and Fund Blueprint. You can go to Find and Fund Blueprint. Sign up there. I would love to see you in there. It's not too late to hit those goals this year. I'm telling you, it's not too late. I am an impatient person. I like getting quick results. And so my, my goal always is anybody that I help, I want to help them get quick results. I want them to get it immediately. I want to see results now. And so that carries through in everything I do. So sign up. Let's get you on the right track. Let's build that business. Let's grow that business. Let's make 2021 
a super successful year and go strong into the next year. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. We'll talk to you next time. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay. Until next time.